All right, guys, in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Fernando Gonzalez, owner of Two Tails Dog Training, and we're going to be talking about a bunch of different topics from social media to animal welfare and imposter syndrome and a few other things in between. So listen up. It's a really good interview. For, you know, for the audience, for the people that, you know, may or may not have heard about you, do a little bit of a, you know, so, sort of a short bio intro type of thing. Tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself. For sure. Yeah, my name is Fernando Gonzalez. I own Two Tails Training. Um, we're based out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, we're known for mostly working with uh, human aggressive and dog aggressive dogs, although we work with some people think that that's all we work with. We work with mm-hmm. a variety of you know, puppies, just regular dogs that have no serious behavioral issues. But um, yeah, I grew up, uh, I was born in Cuba, grew up in Florida, never was able to have, um, like my my parents were super old school Spanish. So like the uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> anim- animals were outside kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, oh, I know. So I never, I never really had a dog. And then growing up, um you know i used to just kind of enjoy my my friends dogs and stuff like that and uh one of my friends rescued a a bait dog which if uh, mm. listening don't know what a bait dog is it's just a smaller normally a pit that antagonizes the other dog getting it ready for uh an actual dog fight mm-hmm. so it was a super uh this was about i don't know i want to say 11 12 years ago maybe maybe a little less um and the dog was just extremely male, human aggressive, um, really protective of uh, my friend that was a girl at the time uh, when they when she adopted it. So hated males. And I didn't know anything about dog training, but I knew that I was going to be patient and win this dog over. And after about six or seven months, the dog, you know, just became my best friend. So that was a really cool feeling that I kind of just held on to. And so every time I went to someone's house that had a dog, um, I just kind of gravitated towards the dog until eventually this ended up, you know, being my, my profession. <laughs> Someone was like, Hey man, why aren't you charging for this? And I'm like, you know, what? that's a great idea. <laughs> and how long have you been doing it now? Um, it's hard. You said this was about 12 years ago. The first, the first dog that you had this, you know, experience with. Sure. Um, so um, it's hard to say because I mean, professionally, like starting, you know, the LLC and stuff, I want to say about, uh, four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then prior to that, you know, I worked with, uh, about a hundred dogs before I started my, my company. Cause I didn't want to. Sure. I didn't feel like charging people while I was still learning, even though I'm still learning today, but um, yeah. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Very honor, very honorable of you. Yeah. Well, it's a very humbling career, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, I want to say that I've been working with dogs, trying to figure out and learning behaviorally. uh, I want to say maybe nine, 10 years. And then two tails has been around for four or five. Uh, Fernando, what do you think it was that got you really interested in this? Because, you know, a lot of people grow up the same way you and I do, because it's very similar to the way, you know, I kind of ended up with it. You know, I also saw dogs as a child and I grew up in a, I grew up in South America 
and the uh you know i had my childhood in south america and the dogs are the same way there that you described you know they're not they're not part of the family they're just animals that stay outside right so a lot of people a lot of people have that experience but not a lot of people end up becoming dog trainers so what is it obviously you had sort of an attraction to this even before that first dog yeah what do you think it was you know Um, and yeah, feel free to say whatever you know whatever you want you know uh, you're not gonna offend anybody sure. i'm not saying that your answer is going to offend anybody but what i'm getting at is dude this is just wide open okay like whatever it is if you think it's like a past life thing if you think it was like a, a particular thing in your childhood what was it i'm just um, curious no honestly i think that it's a great it's a great question um and I think it's the reason that I've stayed so long in this career, whereas in other fields of my life, I've kind of jumped around and got boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to, or at least I, I may have just been really lucky with the things that I've done in my previous two dog training. I just, I was really good at them. I succeeded too quickly and too easily. And so I kind of just was obnoxious and narcissistic about whatever job I was doing. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen with dog training. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's that humbling, you know, what you might be, you know, I'll work with a hundred dogs and I'll feel great about working with those hundred dogs and I'll feel really proud and I'll feel very accomplished of what I do in my craft. And then there'll be that 101 dog. That's just like fucking ruins me like spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally, and it makes me reconsider everything. I think the desire for like perfection or whatever kind of like narcissistic relationship people have with their work careers and wanting to accomplish and be the best. I think that it's an ever growing and never achieving field when we're working with animals, because there's just too many variables. There's too many personalities. There's too many temperaments. Then you have the, you know, the, the the variable of the client itself. And so it's a struggle. Every, every week is a struggle. So I feel like I'm gravitated towards that because it keeps me in check with reality. (laughs) If that makes sense. That's a great answer, actually, you know, because, um, it is the one field where you could understand all the technicalities and all the, you know, and all the definitions of your, of your craft. But the variable is always the fact that you have a live animal and, and, uh, and an individual who is the person, you know, the owner and an individual who is the, that is the animal. So like, you know, computers, from what I hear, because I don't, I don't work with computers. That's never been my field. But you know, I've talked to people that work in the, uh, you know, in the IT industry, and the one thing that they tell me is, you know, with with IT and computers, you know, every year or so they have to keep up because the technology changes. You know, so it's one of those few professions as well that you could be a master at your at your craft, but because technology changes so rapidly they have to relearn and i feel like dog training is also one of those where you know yes technology does change but when it comes to dogs um you have an individual every single time 
you know, regardless of, like you said, you work with a lot of aggression cases and you, you know, you're kind of known for that, but every aggression case has its own flavor to it. You know, every aggression case, every dog, every puppy has its own, uh, its own personality that they bring to the equation. I think that that is something that, you know, I resonate with, you know, your answer definitely um, is an answer that I resonate with as well. You know, some of the people that I respect the most, some of my mentors, um, you know, I've heard, um, you know, Bart and Michael Ballone, people that I, you know, I really respect and, and look up to. I remember them saying, you know, there are dogs that, you know, you, you'll do training sessions, but later something about what that dog did will keep you up at night. Yeah. Yeah. And you think to yourself, what was it that made it made this training session that I did earlier, such and such. And how is it that I can make it different? I completely agree with you. And I think that's was one trait that a lot of good dog trainers have is that constant search for improvement. You know, like, like you're chasing this thing where you're like, I think I'm getting good. I think I'm getting good. And then, you, like you said, you have the 101 and the 100 or, you know, 105th dog that makes you go, no, 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 you don't quite have it. Yeah. So... No, that's yeah, pretty I think, awesome. I think going off of that too, I think a major thing with um, with I think dog trainers that I respect and looked up to as well. Um, there is like a, a also an evolution in your training styles. Like I remember mm -hmm. when I first started out, I was a positive only trainer, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, I, I was. And that's why I'm so adamant sometimes on, on social media about use of tools. And it's not that I use them every, on every dog, but um, I'm kind of this big proponent of being able to teach people uh, a wider array of like having this, you know, a bigger toolbox. But I also remember starting off as a positive only trainer, only doing positive only, and then coming, you know, falling short with some serious, you know, with some more serious behavioral cases that I had. And then when I started using tools, I remember that at one point, um, I realized that I was relying heavily on them um, mm -hmm. and kind of circumnavigating all the knowledge that I had and kind of just, you know, slapping tools on every dog. Mm -hmm. and eventually going back to picking what I thought was the best for each dog and each client. So it kind of, it fluctuates in the way that, you know, we're influenced by other trainers, social media in itself. Um, and then our personal experience of like, you know, I didn't have to do this with this dog and, you know, maybe we'll try that on the, on the next dog. So it is this kind of very fluid, ever evolving thing that i gravitate towards because it just is it's never boring i never reach uh, a peak right and then when i do there's just another mountain to climb up so i think that's what's made this journey so fulfilling and interesting as well as frustrating and like just riddled with imposter syndrome <laughs> dude you're not joking about that it is so it is definitely uh, a roller coaster you know to do it in any at any at any extent um you know i see it with i do work with a lot of sport dogs you know i do work with i have clients as well i do 
you know, regular pet training. I work with puppies. I work with personal protection dogs. And, um, and, and I, I can definitely agree with you on that. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel like, you know, you're getting better. You're doing really well. You're learning. And then something happens that makes you go, God, do, do I really know what I'm doing? You know, do I have, you know, do I have the confidence to do this? Um, so it, it is the imposter syndrome is, it's very real for, uh, especially I, I notice it at least when you have, uh, when you have a platform, you know, there, there've been times and I've, I've been honest about this, you know, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but you know, there've been times where I have something of value to post um, you know, and I've thought it through and I think to myself, you know, this, this is something that maybe a few people could definitely use. And as I'm making it or once I've made it and I'm ready to, to publish it, you know, to hit, you know, to hit submit on the post, I think to myself, but you know, who am I to, to, to do this, <laughs> right? Like why, why would I post this when I'm myself still figuring this out? Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I've come to realize that, you know, even if what I'm putting out there helps like three people, then it was worth it. Yeah. I think that there is, yeah, this is, this is slowly becoming a therapy session, but I'm definitely on board. I definitely feel the same way that you do sometimes. I think, <laughs> I, I, think I think as you definitely grow a platform um, some of your shift focuses from helping people to um, competing or at the very least looking valuable to the un- other people in that industry because there's not many of them, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like so. And then every once in a while, you're reminded by a comment or something of like, you know, where I get message, I got a message today about someone that has just been watching and applying a bunch of stuff and it's made like a huge deal in their life and um, or they're, they've been able to make a huge change in their life. And I'm like, yeah, you know what, this, this is, this is why I do it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, this kind of business has evolved into something else that um, if you really want to be successful, it takes a longer time just having quality work um, without being able to, have a social media presence. Whereas I've seen plenty of people that I don't, you know, think they're the greatest dog trainers, but they have such a massive social media presence that um, it elicits some kind of weight behind that. So yeah. I, f- I feel like a lot of our industry in the, and, in, you know, maybe in the past 10 years or so uh, from when, when I begun to now has completely shifted interest where I also know of some companies that are just old school. They don't even have Instagram accounts and they just, they still, you know, they still survive. They still do what they have to do, Mm -hmm. but there is a lot of focus and competition that really makes you question yourself, your validity. Um, Yeah, dude, that. I feel that. I feel that all the time. I the other day I made some posts and I like, I fucked up the, uh, whatever quadrant I was using Mm -hmm. some dog trainer called me out 
and they're like, "Isn't this this?" And I'm like, "Ah, shit, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> like the most, the most, ba- the most basic thing, right? It's like one of the first things you learn is like operant conditioning and the quadrants and stuff like that. Yeah, man, that completely just went over my head. And sometimes, you know, you just it it is. It's a real. It has been for me a real struggle to be able to balance between providing a reasonable helpful content for people and also just kind of being in my head about this inner competition that I feel like subliminally we have with the people that we either respect or the people that have more value um, yeah otherwise on online so mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of funny to think about how that affects our day-to-day living and it's not just dog training anymore oh yeah yeah I mean social media has become such a central part of of the culture you know it it crosses every it permeates every industry any activity every age group practically and uh now it, it's i mean all social media is right all it is is a dopamine fix when people get on instagram they're just swiping you know tiktok right they're just swiping 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 this is just a dopamine spike that they're getting and the accounts, whatever industry, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever type of uh, content there is, the, the content that will get the attention, the content that will get the likes is whatever content can grab the viewer in the first three seconds. Yeah. That's really what it is. And when you have people like you, you have people, you know, like me, where we're not preparing our content to, to grab the people in the first few seconds. We're doing more like long format. Yeah. Where it would be content that you or I would be interested in, meaning we would sit down and listen for a little bit. Whereas a lot of the audience that gets captured easily by social media, they're not doing that. They're, they're not, they don't want the long format. They just yeah. want to swipe. And if, if that video makes them laugh or catches their attention in the first few seconds, that's, that's the content that grabs them. If it doesn't, boop, they go to the next one. Yeah, and yeah. so when, we, when you and I don't have the, the result of that short dopamine type of content, we we you know subconsciously think to ourselves oh, maybe maybe uh, I'm not doing it right maybe maybe I don't know quite as much as this person whereas we don't think about it as no my content is meant to be long format it's not meant to be swipe get a quick laugh swipe get a quick laugh and now my my page my account does have a lot of that because I do you know I do post a lot of memes so it is. That's one of the things that has made the uh, my platforms grow a little bit. It's the means because it does grab you. Like you look at them, you're like, oh yeah, that's funny, mm-hmm. right? But uh, but in general, when I want to post informa- informative stuff, that's where sometimes you know we get these little nudges of doubt or these little you know these little stabs of doubt where we think to ourselves, do I know what I'm talking about? And I know a lot of people. I've talked to people. I've told me. That's why they don't post anything. Yeah, I, I, um, there's been countless posts that I've made on Instagram 
And I'm just like in my head, I'm like, this is this is definitely gonna go viral. And like, it's like a thousand views or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then the most, I post, I posted some shit about a, a Malinois um, that was just like super aroused working with thresholds. Really had no meat to it as far as information. It was just kind of an example of a dog getting excited. I think it's got like nine million views on right now. It's just. Mm. It's the most random thing. And then uh, yesterday I was also looking at uh, one of my favorite trainers ever, Tyler Muto. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. His personal account has like 3,000, I think, or just something like ridiculously low. Where I'm like, mm. this, this is one of the trainers that people should be, you know, yeah, listening to and stuff because he has such a wealth of knowledge. Um, so, yeah, sometimes I do feel guilty too where it's just – you know, what am I, am I clickbaiting? Obviously you want your business to grow because now social media does become into a source of revenue. Um, oh, yeah. but you know, meanwhile, keeping some kind of integrity, um, yeah. in the industry where you don't feel like a complete fucking sellout. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that's good, man. I, I, I like the way, the way the conversation is going. I think, this is really important stuff to bounce ideas back and forth and have other people that probably feel the same way we do. But yeah. you know, a lot of people don't talk about it. And a lot of people do not talk about some of these little things that pertain to dog training that are not necessarily related to dog training. Yeah. I wish there was a better sense of, and I feel like I have it with some people. I mean, you were, you, you've been always very, you know, cordial and nice whenever we've had any kind of interaction, but I wish there was a little bit more of a sense of community in the dog training world. I think there's a couple of clicks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously there's a, there's a ton in every kind of group, you know, the positive only, then the balanced, um, the sport dog, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like there should be a decent amount of crossover and community with, with everyone to kind of just be able to learn and help more people globally, because sometimes it just feels very competitive and very like pushy. And I'm like, Hey, very man, divided. it is. And it's just like, listen, dogs are not going to stop fucking each other. Like everyone's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, we have enough dogs to go around and train. Like, you don't, I've always, I, I remember feeling that way when I first started off and being kind of very competitive with, you know, training companies in my area, because I'm like, no, I mean, like, I, I want, I need dogs. I need dogs to train. But if you're good, eventually, you know, there's, there's plenty of dogs. People get dogs every day. I think there just needs to be more, a sense of community and more, you know, wealth of knowledge but it's really hard to do sometimes, especially with the nuances yeah. Of, yeah. of tools that we use because a lot of times people are like, how do you use this? How do you use the e-car? And I'm like, well, I don't want to just blanketly put information out there that could potentially be towards the wrong dog, be misinterpreted, be misused. Yeah. So you know, the whole, the whole thing with the sense of community, unfortunately, it's just not in people's nature. People are not, people are, you know, we're meant to have, it's like we're hardwired to gravitate towards our own tribes. And if there is no tribe, we're we're wired to make our own tribes. It's sort of the human, it's a very, very characteristic trait of, of of the human is we like our tribes. This is why there's religion. 
This is why there are, you know, there are countries. This is why there are communities. This is why there are, you know, everything. I mean, e- even with politics, we just want to find our own group of people. And if we don't have our own group of people, we go, oh, you know what? I like that group. I'm going to join that group. And this is what kind of causes the divide. I used to be sort of, I used to be very like, oh, damn it, you know, like them and us, you know, them versus us. I used to be like that, you know, in, in the earlier years of my career. And now I'm more like you, like, I'm like, man, we should just be, you know, kind of more, we should combine our efforts. But, but the thing is, people don't do that. And, I, and I've come to accept that. I'm already at that point where, where I'm like, I understand it's not in people's nature. But the only thing that concerns me, okay, and it concerns a lot of people, and I know it concerns you too, is, look, I'm okay with not agreeing with everybody. I'm okay with somebody completely disagreeing with me, and I'm okay. I'm, I accept it. There's nothing wrong with that. The one thing that concerns me is I want the law away from my business. I I don't want the law, okay? I don't want the law to stick their hands in my business. I don't want the law to stick their hands in your business. Even if I massively disagree with you, where I think to myself, right? Let's say I see one of your videos or I see your content, you know, hypothetically, because obviously this is not the case. But let's say, you know, I really strongly disagree with you. I will be okay disagreeing with you. And I would be okay with you completely just thinking, you know, Will doesn't know what he's doing. But the one thing that I would not want is I would not want there to be any sort of legislature to prevent you from doing what you can do well, even if I disagree with it. I... And, and that's the problem, that there are people in their, you know, in their little tribe, in their little community where they're not satisfied with just disagreeing. They want to they wanna basically cancel you. They want to basically go, no, fuck you, Fernando. I don't agree with you, and I don't want you to have the freedom to do what you can do. Sure. Yeah, I mean, one of my, it's kind of, it's not technically a devil's advocate, but I've always, I'll go for it. My, my biggest goal I have two like pipe dreams <laughs> that I've always thought about um, of things that I want to do. One seems a little bit more reasonable than the other um, because as much as we don't want to <clears throat> have the law in our business, it's always going to happen. Just like there's supposed to be a separation of church and state and there definitely fucking isn't one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like the most reasonable way to go about it is to at least meet in the middle. One of my things that I've always wanted to do is one, um, I've always like long-term wanted to get into some kind of lobbying or political agenda where I could rewire or reconstruct the the breed restriction on, on properties and mm-hmm. start a... Mm-hmm start a company like a third party company that does behavioral like temperament test on dogs. And that's how you can get your dog into a rental company or a rental property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with tools, I listen, I use prongs, e-collars. I, I use it. I use it all. They have completely 
given people their life back. They've completely saved dogs from. I agree. But I also see a ton of misuse. So I want to move towards the. I want to move towards the angle of these tools are readily available for the people that can instruct others how to use them properly. Because I think a lot of the polarizing, let's ban e-callers, let's start interrupting these businesses is because of the like uh, insurmountable abuse that there is, that is happening on with mm-hmm. people that don't know what the fuck they're doing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <clears throat> that makes perfect sense. I, I know where you're coming from. So you're basically thinking there should be sort of a, a body of uh, professionals that can maybe verify the, you know, the ability or the, you know, or, or sort of who or in, in what scenarios um, right, right. You know, not, either tools or breeds can go to type of thing, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, um, do we want to ban semi-trucks or do you want to get a license that, you know, allows you to drive one? But if you gave everyone the ability, if everyone could just willy-nilly get a semi-truck and drive one, there'd be a lot of deaths and there'd be a lot of accidents because it's a bigger responsibility than just a car. And even with a car, you still need a license. Yeah. So if we're this gung-ho about, you know, um, animal safety, then why don't we moderate it uh, in a way that businesses can agree on instead of upright banning it because there's always, there's always going to be the argument, you know, but yeah. I mean, organizations like CCBDT, like that recent letter they sent out about how they're revising their stance on tools. Like that's huge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of, you know, the, the acceptance that these use, these tools can be used properly, but the examples that people use are from people that use it improperly. So it's like, right. do you want to fight the battle or do you want to moderate it and have everyone a little happier? But I mean, a lot of those things are just decided from, like you were saying, groups of people that, you know, have a hard on to proving <laughs> the point instead yeah. of just, you know, they're your dog, man. It's like cropping. When people bitch about cropping, they're the dog's, you know, tail or ears. Yeah. It's like, what, <laughs> why is this a conversation when they still do it to humans? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. A lot of, there's a lot of, con- the, there's a lot of conversation that just seems more riddled with passion than logical or rational. Um, it's all emotional. Yeah. You know, and I used to, I used to feel the same way as you um, in, in that aspect where I was like, you know, there should be, a a moderating a body of uh you know like a third party that can maybe decide hey you know let's verify the competence of which professionals can use e-calls it used to kind of be sort of in that mindset as well Um, but then then i started to think you know the moment that we do something like that you know the moment we start doing something like that yes it would definitely be a step in the right direction but let's say, you know, let's say, Fernando, we put you in charge of that, right? Let's say you become the professional that, you know, you in your area, you get to decide in your state, your county, whatever, right? You get to decide 
um, you know, under what circumstances people can have certain breeds under, you know, which locations. And you also get to decide which type of professionals get to operate certain tools. And maybe you have a nice process to verify this. Maybe your process is, you know, some sort of testing, right? Where you go, you know, I, I'm a professional. I'm, I'm not on, on either side. I'm very reasonable like you are. And I'm going to have some sort of uh, some sort of test, so to speak, where I would, you know, make it fair so that dogs don't get abused, uh, but also, you know, uh, people have the ability to use whatever tools they need to use. But the concern that I have is what happens when Fernando moves on? What happens when Fernando decides to do something else? Yeah. Who's going to take over Fernando? I and saw, this is I where saw exactly where you were going the second you started saying that. I was like, oh, that's yeah, it's a, a very, very good because count. because like we talked about, you know, people evolve, things <laughs> evolve, you know, like um, I'll give you an example that I got from Bart, you know, dogs in, uh, you know, in in uh, in Belgium long time ago, back when he was still a kid, dogs used to be used in farms. They were not pets. They were, they were the equivalent of the horse in a lot of farms in Belgium. So the farmers that were poor, they, didn't, they couldn't afford horses for their carts, so they used dogs. So the poorer farmers would use dogs to do their work. Well, what happened one time, you know, one day, all of a sudden, the, the law changed in, in Belgium where they suddenly decided to decided that it that it was inhumane to treat dogs that way it, they suddenly decided that it was inhumane to use dogs to pull carts and to you know and to and to be in, to work in the in the farmers um, you know stead so what they decided is they made it illegal and if if a dog was you know was found to be used um, as a farming instrument, the, the poor farmers will get fined heavily. So here's what a lot of farmers had to do. A lot of farmers that relied heavily on their dogs, they couldn't make them pets. They're poor farmers. You know, it's not that like they were like, oh, the law changed. I can't use, use you as a farming instrument now, which, by the way, they loved. The dogs loved it. Sure. Okay? They loved it. They loved the work. So what they did is, in the name of animal welfare, thousands of dogs in Belgium got killed overnight. In the law, okay, in, in, the, in the name of animal welfare, thousands of dogs got killed overnight because they decided it was inhumane. So the problem with that is, you know, um, you have a very reasonable approach. You have a very reasonable um, you know, request to go, Hey, you know, maybe dogs should be treated a little bit different, but this is an evolution, right? This evolved dogs went from their, you know, dogs are there to provide a service, a physical service for the human to now look how far dogs have evolved. Now dogs are our babies. The cultural shift in regards to dogs has drafted drastically changed in the past 50 years it's only been about 50 years since that shifted that way what do you think right? that's 
what do you think that the the main uh power behind that shift has been well it's a number it's a number of things you know what's happening is uh less people are having kids you know more people are adopting dogs um people are not producing this is this is a verifiable verifiable fact you know humans are not reproducing at the same rate they used to people are having less and less kids today than they were you know 50 60 years ago mm-hmm. so a lot of people are this is a fact again a lot of people are having more and more dogs so when you have people that go i don't want kids everybody yeah. wants something to fill an emotional void right so what happens is now dogs take the place of the kids. And now when, when the cultural shift starts to go from dogs are, you know, uh, farm animals, dogs are there to provide a service for us to, oh, no, dogs are our family. No, dogs are our babies. And this happened in less than 100 years, right? It becomes very anthropomorphic. Exactly. So now, now you have the law that also has to shift to accommodate that. Just and you see examples like this, not just in the, in the dog world. You see examples of this everywhere, you know. And so what happens is with this evolution, this cultural evolution on how we view dogs, we have things where you could have a, a great idea for a, you know for a middle ground where you could go, hey, you know, let's make it so that. You know, there is a way to verify who gets to use tools and who doesn't, who gets to have certain dogs and who doesn't. But who's to say in the next 10 years, that's not going to evolve further than it yeah, is now. That, that could be a slippery slope. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's, just, it's just a very deep conversation. You know, like you said, it's a very deep conversation to have. Um, well, dude, I'm all for it. If, if we could lock it down and be like, let's be reasonable guys. You know, I don't, I don't want any dogs to get fucked up. You know, I don't want any people who shouldn't have tools to have tools. Cause there are plenty that I know, uh, that I have seen the people miss, you know, mistreat their dogs where I think you shouldn't have access to these tools. Yeah. You're freaking poor dog. Right. Um, but you know, in, in the large scale, then I, I see, the nature of people and how, you know, this could turn into something where you go, all right, you, you can have these tools if you can pass this test to no, now you shouldn't have these tools because things have changed. Yeah. And freedom, just, you know, freedom. I I forgot which president said this. I think it was Ronald Reagan who said freedom is one generation away from being extinct. Yeah. You know, it's, Crazy dude, crazy. I, I, but I feel I feel like talking about that makes me change the um, the the focus from the tools to just educating what dogs are because it's just you know I'm reading this book on on like the history of mankind called Sapiens, and when, when we look at the uh, the scale of time from you know when we started to where we are now pretty much the the industrial revolution us becoming like what we consider humans is just a blip on this line right mm-hmm. i feel like it's the same way for dogs because we've been breeding them for um I, what is it like fifteen thousand years or uh <clears throat> what's the uh you're talking about the uh like basically the evolution of the dog 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I... yeah, fifteen. So the uh, I just looked it up. Um, it's between twelve thousand to fifteen thousand years ago, which is mm-hmm. a shit ton of time. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <clears throat> and so when we look at the at that scale of like dogs not working, um, you said that he was said that he, when he was a kid. So how old is he? Uh, the guy I from. Think Bart, yeah, he's, I think, yeah, I don't, I don't want to put too much age on him if I'm wrong, but I think he's <laughs> in his 70s. So you're talking about, you know, less than a generation ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these dogs were just working dogs. They weren't really pets. Mm. And then there's been this, like, very slow shift to now I feel like it's a very rapid shift of anthropomorphizing the dogs and treating them like they are babies because of what you said, right? Because people aren't having children and there is that emotional void. You know, I I feel like, I feel like dogs are the, the children of nowadays and plants are the dogs of nowadays. (laughs) Like I feel like people treat plants like dogs and they treat dogs like babies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, being able to educate people, you know, not even about the tool, just on the purpose of the dog. And it's, it's very clear when you have certain working dogs, like whenever I worked with cattle dogs, German shepherds, or anything that was clearly has some kind of very distinct lineage, you know, especially with like teaching a heel, you could immediately see their like eyes light up when they start catching on yeah. and that, that engagement that they have with you where they're like, Oh, this is fun. Like I'm, I'm doing something and you could immediately see that click for a dog because we fucking bred them to work. Mm -hmm. So it's a very dangerous game to take that away from uh, uh, take the animal portion out of a dog because then what are they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a very nice nice conversation i'm glad that uh we had a chance to to chat absolutely man um dude, this was awesome i think we should definitely get back together for another episode at some point in the future totally down um, where, this where, where are you located at i'm in texas texas what part i'm in a tiny tiny little town that is about two hours north of austin perfect i think i'm I think I'm going to plan to do a little uh, workshop in Austin next year. So oh, nice. if I do that, I will make sure to absolutely hit you up so that we could hang out and do this in person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just let me know where, where your workshop's going to be, and I'll, I'll definitely make efforts to be there. Absolutely, man. All right. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for, uh, thank you for your time, and, uh, and I'll talk to you a later time. Sounds good, man. All right, man. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. All right, you too. Bye.